0: All right, so here we go. Take your Bibles, open them up. We are in the book of 1 John. We are in our series, Walking in the Light, and God has been speaking to people. I have had all kinds of conversations during the week in my office with people. and what uh, I've had two people last week come and just go, wow, God blew me up last week. Like, what is going on? So there's a sense that the Lord's really using this series. Uh, last week, we covered that we should walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light. And there's a lot more that we'll say about that as we go into 1 John. That's why we didn't cover it that deep. But we saw that John lays out a very practical test when it comes to this love issue. He says, If we love God who we can't see, then we will also love our brother who we can see. In other words, there's a correlation for John. In other words, relationally, we should be consistent in how we're relating this way, the vertical way, versus as compared to the horizontal way. As we love God, so we should love our brother. As we love our brother, so we should love God. And John makes that correlation. And we said last week that God usually tests what he teaches. And so my question is: So, how did you do last week? Did you run into any? I did. Okay, both in and out of my office, I ran into uh, challenges. Did God brush you by anyone who's hard for you to love? You're all looking, don't look at your spouse, no, don't go there, (laughs) don't go there. Did you respond well or badly? Remember, John had faith that we could do this. Remember, he talked about it, those encouragement statements. And if And We received John's strong encouragement. What was his encouragement? You can do this. Children, you can do this. Fathers, you can do this. Young men, you can do this, right? We can do this. The next set of verses that we're going to look at this morning are famous for the reaction they've drawn from various different people groups over the ages. So before we get there, let's pray this morning. Would you join me in prayer and we'll lift this up to the Lord. Lord, we're going to look at some verses That are incredibly important Have been taken wildly out of context Have uh, marshaled all kinds of movements And Lord, uh, have incredibly practical application for today as well I'm praying that this will connect for my friends I'm praying that it's it's laid out right I pray for your uh, blessing on it Lord, I seek you, what you do so well is when I'm talking, you will have a conversation with somebody and you will highlight something in a way that they will know it's you and not me talking. That's what we're looking for this morning. Your presence is welcome among us. We want to be a group of people that uh, you feel comfortable and confident with. We ask for you to be at work this morning. And we give that to you in great hope. Pray this in your name, amen. All right. All right, so let's start. We are in First John. We are in chapter 2. Two verses, three verses, 15 to 17. And they go like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the di- desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This passage has resulted in some very interesting expressions within the Christian community over the centuries. I thought we'd just walk through a couple of them just to give you a taste or a flavor of it. Uh, The first one I'd introduce you to is the Desert Fathers. Uh, They operated about... 271 to 400 AD. And basically what happened is one guy went out into a desert in Egypt, dug a hole in the ground and started to live there. Word got out that this guy was doing that. So other guys came out, no, you can't be by me. So you have to go dig your own hole. And they came out. The one that's the most famously known is a guy called Anthony the Great. And so they lived out in the desert. And the idea was, came from these verses, to be separate from the world. That the world was polluted, the world was impure, the world was dirty, the world was evil. And so to be one with Christ, they were gonna separate themselves from the world and literally live out in the desert. What's kind of funny about this whole thing is if you read the historical accounts, which I did this week, there were so many people who went out in the desert, there was actually a city out there, okay? a city of holes and caves that people lived in. And, um, and they, the goal was they were divesting themselves of the things of the world. And in, again, in isolation and solitude, draw near and experience God in a special way. Now, obviously there's nothing wrong with taking some time and spending some time alone with God. We, uh, we do that. Uh, when I went on my sabbatical, I, uh, but my wife blessed me and I was able to go to one of our cabins that friends here own. And I stayed there for a week and just spent time, me and Jesus. And it was marvelous. Right? But obviously, this took this to a whole other extreme. Uh, right after them came what are known as the pole sitters. Okay, and the pole sitters were people said, well, it's not practical to leave and go somewhere. So what we will do is we will build, it started out first as platform, but then later they actually, we would call it kind of a tower or a pole and it would be raised way up and they would sit on top of that tower or pole and they would fast or pray. And and some people took this to radical extremes. There's a guy named uh, Simon Stylites, That's not really his last name. A stylite is a tall pole, so he became known for the pole that he sat on. And he sat on that pole for 37 years. Okay? Just stop and think about that for a second. Okay? 37, never came down. Okay? He's in Syria. Good thing he wasn't in Wisconsin. He would have froze to death. Okay? But he was in Syria, and he lived on this pole and they had a rope system and they would bring food and water up and he'd lower stuff down. Don't imagine what the stuff was. But (laughs) he sat on that pole for 37 years. And when he died, they said literally he was just uh, uh, fluff and bones and just probably nothing left. So uh, he took that. One of the more famous ones that we're familiar with, the next one, a little more uh, well-known, Francis of Assisi. Right. Francis of Assisi was a wealthy, young nobleman, uh, was in a war. uh, And because they recognized from his suit and armor that he was a nobleman, they captured him. They held him for ransom. He was in the prison for over a year in the prison. He had visions from Christ. And when he came out, he disavowed all of his wealth, gave his wealth away and then uh, lived for the poor. And uh, he was also famous for giving sermons to animals. He would preach to the birds and that kind of stuff. And so he's a bit eccentric. But he has become kind of a symbol of what it means uh, to give away and live uh, what's known as a a vow of poverty. And that's that's being practiced right now today in our world as we sit here. And uh, so St. Francis then kicked off kind of what we know as the monastic movement. In the monastic movement, you have uh, several groups of Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits. And again, pursuing God through isolation, solitude, and prayer. You can, this this day, today, go to places, uh, and they will allow you to be there. There are places um, where you're not allowed to speak. And uh, there's one place just down on the Washington, Oregon border, St. Angels, where you can go do this. Some friends of mine have done that. And uh, and it's a time just to be alone and separate from God. But again, it uh, the long and short of all of this, there was a lot of good that came out of these movements. There was a lot of weird that came out of these movements. Okay? And there was a lot of bad that came out of these movements. Kind of a real, mixed, sort of a human thing, kind of a mixed bag, right? And uh, But the thing that doomed all of them was... Uh, the inability to sustain the movement. They had a real problem with sustaining their movement and for one good reason, they didn't have any children, right? Kind of hard to sustain a movement if you don't have children. And so each of these movements uh, went through cycles uh, because it was obviously a radical extreme expression of what Christ was saying. So what do we have here? What are we actually looking at? And what you're looking at is, a pendulum swing of theology, all right? And you'll watch this. If, if, For example, if you've been in the evangelical church for any length of time, it's all evangelism, right? You've got to reach the lost, reach the lost. Reach the lost. Uh, it's all body life. I've got to be together, be together, be together. It's all discipleship. It's the, right now we're in the discipleship phase. It's all discipleship. The, and then what happens? It all swings back, right? It's kind of like wearing ties. If you keep them, they'll be in style. You just have to know which area you're in to wear them. Right? It's kind of like that. And the church is like that. So the three positions we've been talking about, we'll blend them in today. The first is the Gnostic position. That's way over here. And what they were saying is there is a separation of body and spirit, that the spirit is holy, the body is evil, and that the body is carnal, uh, if not evil. Uh, Therefore, thus sex is also carnal. And is also evil, and all must be denied to achieve what's known as the secret word of knowledge or enlightenment. So uh what's spirit is good, what's body's bad. They made the weird connection though that, well, therefore, since spirit is good and the body's bad, it doesn't matter what you do in your body, because your spirit's still pure. So they had the biggest problem of immorality as anybody, right? They they were way whacked out, way more than that. But we don't have time this morning. The Christian position is this. God has made all things, including the earth and humans, and declared them good. God loves families. Sexual relations must be confined within the relationship of marriage because it's like fire. Fire is good in your house. If you have a fireplace or a stove, they're very helpful to heat you and feed you. Jump outside of the container of that, burn your house down. And that's what God is saying about sexual relationships. And man was made to be within communities, all right? And so that would be the Christian position. The hedonistic position, which would be over here, would say uh, our sexual expression is the same as the animals. All right? Just like rabbits and dogs, do it as much as you can and produce as many as you can. Okay? Survival of the fittest, Charles Darwin handed us that plate. Thank you very much. There are no rules or limits to sexual expression or appetites. Life is to be indulged, so take your desires, your appetites, and lust to the limits. Just roll it. Let's go. Throw the book out the window, and away we go. So you've got the Gnostic position, which takes and tweaks the spirit and what God has created. You have the Christian position say, no, they're integrated and whole. They land together. And you have the hedonistic position, which says there is no spirit at all. It's just body, so do what the body does. Those are the three. And and so with that in mind, I'm hoping that's helpful for you. Let's read those verses again. Let's, Let's look at the verses again. Here they are. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word here for world is cosmos, right? Carl Sagan's famous phrase. The cosmos is all that ever is and all that ever was and all that ever will be. He forgot about the guy who made it, uh, and he's probably met him now, right? But uh, before we all start running off to the hills to escape this evil world, let's examine this a little closer, all right? Certainly, John is talking about something different than the actual created world. Now, how do we know this? Well, there's lots of other verses that give us this balanced perspective. I'll just pull two this morning. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So it tells us that God loves the world that he created, Genesis 1, 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Not just good, very good. So the point being is that God loves his creation. He made it good, including people. So what is John saying then when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world? You can see where that would be confusing, right? If you've never read the rest of scripture, you don't have it in context, that would make it sound weird. Paul in the book of Ephesians really helps us, gives us some clarity. In chapter 2, he says this And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Notice that phrase there. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Paul's pointing out here is that we operating in our sinful nature were enemies of God. That we were operating in our flesh, that we were by nature children of wrath. Uh, The fall, again, the fall is not a flat tire. That's how so many people treat it. Well, it's just a little... I'm just a little weird, but I'm fine, you know. No, it's a blown engine. It goes across the board. It goes all the way through our societal structure. It goes through our marriages, our families. It runs in our DNA. It runs in our physiology. The fall is incredibly comprehensive. But the fall with the introduction of the sin nature is the backdrop to what we're looking at in John's description. He is talking about a world system that is headed by Satan and opposed to God. That is why the leader of it is called Antichrist. He is anti-God or against God. Uh, We're going to, by the way, take a look at him next week. So if you're curious about that, come on back. But uh, he is opposed to all things that God stands for. Right? Think of an opponent. that's that's what we're looking at here. John is saying, do not love the stuff that this world system produces or throws your ways. If anyone loves this world system, John says that the love of the Father is not in him. Now we can all get, uh, you can get super technical on this, right? We don't have time this morning to, to go that deep with the whole thing. But it's really pretty simple. I thought, how in the world do we break this down so we could make a a, a picture that would sit in your mind and you could discern the difference? And the Lord went, and it popped right in my head. And the story that illustrates, uh, just a fantastic illustration of this picture is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, Look with me in Luke 15, if you've got your Bibles, also be up on the screen. But Jesus is talking, he's giving a parable and he said, There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, them being the younger brother and the older brother. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. Now, Ignore the father for a moment, ignore the older son for a moment. Just look at this younger son, and it gives you a picture of what John's talking about. A couple of observations. Number one, the son had it good under the care of the father, it wasn't doing bad, right? It even sounds like they were in fairly good relationship. Observation number two, the son did not like being under the care of his father. The son decided to step out of one system or world, his father's, and step into another system or world called here in this passage, reckless living or the far country. Obviously, the father's home or system is a symbol of the kingdom of God and the world he created. And the far country or the reckless living is a symbol of the fallen world and the world that Satan is created controlling and that he's trying to create what are john's identifying markers for this far country this this world that he's talking about john gives us three markers in the passage this morning that we can look at mark let's look at it for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes the pride of life the old translations call the what lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life Most of us would recognize that much clearer, right? Is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let's take a look at each of these. The desires or lust of the flesh. Usually this has to do with bodies. It's usually sexual. Uh, That's the whole pornography pull and impurity and all that kind of stuff that we see expressed in our culture today. But basically... The picture is a body-centric view, which means a sensual view. Now, usually sensual, we, we tend to think sexual. But sensual is basically, I reduce life down to the level of my senses. In other words, we have five senses, right? Taste, touch, smell, sight, and hearing. Whatever I can verify with my senses is real. If I can't verify it with my senses, it's not real. I do this in my office many times because people will say, yeah, God's not real. You can't see him, can't talk to him. I said, well, I said, uh, have you seen oxygen lately? What? Have you seen oxygen lately? Well, what are you talking about? Mm-mm. Do you see an oxygen? You ever seen oxygen? Well, No. Now you've seen effects of oxygen, you've seen wind, you've seen fire. I said, but you ever seen oxygen? No. But well, I said, you haven't stopped breathing. Funny thing. How about love? Is love something you can quantify? We all know what love is, but when you try to quantify, is it like, you know, if you love a little bit, you go and get a box at the store this big, and if you love a big, you right, love's a... Can you... No. What's electricity? We use electricity all the time. Is it a particle or a wave? You know what? They don't know. They, being the scientists, have no idea. It acts like both. It does both. And when they think they got it pegged, it morphs into the other one. And yet we use it all the time. Okay. What I'm saying is some of the most real things in life can't be verified by your senses. And yet we operate on them all the time. But this viewpoint says that only the things that I can verify with my senses are real. Therefore, God is out of the picture. Uh, it has to do with appetites, cravings, would be what the Bible calls it. Remember Israel in the wilderness? It says they craved meat. Okay, this isn't just you're normally hungry and you want to have a meal. This is a craving. I gotta have that chocolate peanut butter cup, right? Kind of thing. Now all you're gonna go out and buy a peanut butter cup, right? But it has to do with three major areas: sex, food, and pleasure. But here's what the promise is. The promise is. If you take these things, if you uh, indulge in these things, uh, that these things are more real than anything that God offers. That's the promise behind the lust of the flesh, is that this is more real than the stuff that God offers. Let's look at the desires of the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the eyes is sexual, but normally the lust of the eyes has to do with acquiring has to do with what we would call covetousness covetousness is i want to have what you have and i want to have more than what you have and i want to have what you all have and even if that's not enough i want to have i just want to keep having Uh, covetous another word that's used for covetousness is greed all right being greedy Uh, driven by the spirit of enough is never enough you have a car You're driving down the road. You see a nicer car. I would like that car. I remember one time we were driving down the road, Pam and I, and we were actually coming from here, heading home down 35th. And here comes this nice, brand new blue Ford F-250 pulling a really nice boat behind it. And You just go, oh, right? Pam goes, I would like that. I said, we can have that. We can? Yep, right now. <gasps> really? Yep. What do we have to do to get it? Only one thing. We just have to quit tithing and then we can buy that. Oh we can't do that. You ever been there? <laughs> Rats. Shoot. Okay? That's what this is about. It's controlled by a spirit of ungratefulness. Okay. By the way, one of the sins of our culture right now, I'm throwing this in for free, but it's real is what I would call uh, disappointment with life. What Hollywood has done, what Facebook has done, is let us know what everybody else has, what everybody else has got, what everybody else gets to do. You ever been looking along and somebody got to go to Hawaii? I'd like to go to Hawaii. Somebody got, I'd like a new car. Somebody got a new house, I'd like a new house. What happens? We start becoming really ungrateful for what we don't have, or what we have, and start longing to have all this other stuff. And we start living in an ungrateful way. And what comes out of this is that life did not give me what I wanted, and therefore I'm going to be disappointed, and therefore I'm going to be bitter, and I know I'm talking to someone this morning. Listen to me. This is a trap. This is a deadly trap. That's why you content. The Bible says be content. God will give you what you need. He knows your heart. He's not a skinflint or a, a scrooge. He knows how to bless you. But that doesn't mean you won't go through tough times or you don't have hard things you have to go through. That's called endurance. That's called perseverance. And you have to keep your eyes on the Lord. Otherwise, you're going to end up with disappointment with life. And it's going to really carve you. Enough on that said. But this is keeping up with the Joneses, whoever they are. Here's what the promise of this one is. This stuff will make you happy, and the more stuff you get, the happier you'll be. And you know what's fascinating about that lie? You talk to people who have all the stuff, are they happy people? No, they are not. No, they are not. Because they can't ever be satisfied with what they got, because they always have to be in the chase or the pursuit of something more I, I've come to learn this a real way in my own life i'll, I'll give you some of my selfishness. Uh, I have longed for a pickup truck for forty years okay a four-wheel drive, big pickup truck uh, go through the mountains, blow over rocks kind of pickup truck right four-wheel drive just rawr, you know rawr kind of thing I've prayed for a pickup truck. Pam even wanted to get me a pickup truck. You know what? I drive a 21-year-old Suburban. You know what? That thing's awesome. It is absolutely... The thing runs like a clock, doesn't burn any oil. Hauls all the... The other day we were hauling everybody around. And went, this is such a great vehicle. And I've learned to be content. I've learned, you know what? My Suburban is good. I'm kind of proud of my Suburban. I kind of like my Suburban. What a gift that suburban was to our family. And the story of how God gave it to us is a miraculous story. It's really easy to be discontent with what you have and always think the grass is greener on the other side. And if I just had that, how many of the, those things I had to have, those that's, are sitting in our garages or shelves in a storage unit somewhere and we're not even using them? It's That's what's behind this. All right. Number three, the boastful pride of life. This is the sin of pride. None of us have that, so we can skip right on to the next point. (laughs) This has to do with accomplishments, either real or imagined. Driven by a spirit of, I am worth more, I have done more, I have more than you, i.e. I am more important and more valuable than you. Look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I have built. Insinuated in this is, I'm also smarter than you. Pride is the deadliest of all sins. And the reason it's so deadly is because it's very observable in other people. But we are usually blind to our own pride. That's why it's called a blind spot. Why do we call it a blind spot? Because we can't see it. We can see other... Isn't it amazing how pride looks so terrible in someone else and looks pretty okay in you? Right? Just, I mean, for what it's worth. That's, that's what this one is. What's the lie behind this one? If you push hard enough, if you get enough stuff, you will earn the honor you have been seeking and everyone will acknowledge your greatness. Men especially, we desire honor. I tell couples all the time, the women are usually shocked by this, but I said a man would rather live in a home where he is honored than loved. And they go, what? And I go, listen to me. A man would rather live in a home where he's honored than where he's loved. Men aren't seeking love so much as they're seeking honor. Okay? To be held in that high position. And that can be a trap, that can be something we chase after, and it becomes the pride of life. Uh, look at what we've done. So, what's John's assessment of all this? Here's his assessment it's really pretty simple. None of this stuff is from the Father. None of it. None of it's from God. It also tells us something very important about God, that God is not greedy for bodies. God is self-controlled. God takes care of people. He doesn't use people. God is not greedy for stuff. He values people way above things. Have you noticed that in your own walk with Him? And God is not proud. And I've said this many times before, but I'll continue to say it. If anybody could toot their own horn and strut their stuff, wouldn't it be God? And yet he doesn't do that. That's the exact opposite of how he describes himself. Look at how Jesus uh, described himself uh, here in Matthew chapter 11. Very famous passage. It says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that just... Right? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burdens is light. What's John's advice in this? If you go for the world, bad trade. In what ways? In all of these areas, they are what I would call short-term gain for long-term pain. Let's look at each of the three to see what I mean. For example, let's look at the desires or the lust of the flesh. What's, what's the point here? Why would this be a short-term gain, long-term pain category? Well, here's the key point. There's no sex in heaven. Newsflash, bulletin, Alert. There's no sex in heaven. So if you invest your life and it's all about sex and it's all about any kind of sex and whatever sex and however sex that you can get and you run your mind nine million miles a minute trying to think of every possible option that you can do to get more sex, it's a short-term gain for a long-term pain. You're trading something for nothing because there will be no sex in heaven. Think about that. Eternity is a long time. What's in heaven is better than sex. And the Bible's just asking you to trust God with that and believe Him for the long-term picture. You're literally trading something temporary for something eternal. And John would say, that's a bad trait. We're not talking about legitimate sexual relationship that God has within a marriage. We're talking about the expressions outside of that. How about the desire of the lust of the eyes? Why is that a bad trade? Short-term gain for long-term pain. Here's the key point. There will be no coveting or greediness in heaven. You're not going to need stuff. It's going to be completely different makeup, completely different setup. Uh, Your stuff. And the other point um, is that it's been observed that the old joke is that you've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse. Why do people say Why is that? Because you can't take it with you. You're accumulating all this, and I've got to have all this stuff. And I... For how long and when it's gone, who gets it? Right? Now, does that mean there's anything wrong with appropriate provisions, appropriate stuff, even fun stuff that God has? I have a set of golf clubs. I'm not giving them away. <laughs> not because I'm a good golfer. I'm 65. I've never broken 100. Right? My laugh is the best part of my golf game. (laughs) Trust me, my friends who golf me would tell you that. But they'll also tell you nobody enjoys golf more than I do because I'm out there with my friends, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about the push past that, right? John would say that's a bad trade because you can't take it with you. And lastly, the boastful pride of life. Again, why is this a short-term gain or a long-term pain agenda? Well, here's the key point in that one. Humility will be the spirit of the kingdom of God. The kingdom will be like its king. God is the most humble person in the universe, and there's going to be no place for pride. And besides that, I have a newsflash for us. You know, God has given us a lot. He's given us a lot of truths about himself. He's shown us a lot of stuff about himself. He's told us about himself in his word. We know what a great guy, I have news for you. We have no idea who we're really up against. You're talking about a divine council. You're talking about universal. You're talking about when that stuff all rolls out, we will be sitting there going, literally. There will be no place for pride in the kingdom of God. John is saying this stuff is all fluff and chaff. It's all going to burn, all of it. Just think about your house. Think about the nice things you've got in your house. Think about your nice house. Think about your cars. Think about that. It's all going to be ashes and dust. It's all going bye-bye. None of it goes into the kingdom with you. And that's so why God says, and John is saying, careful with this stuff. Nothing wrong with appropriate, but balance it out. It's temporary. It's only for a short time. Peter, agreeing with John, gives this galvanizing picture. And I thought this was really good for us to take a look at. Peter says this in Second Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. I wonder what that sounds like. Right? Those of you scientists, it's in a vacuum. How does it roar in a vacuum? That would be a fascinating description. But the heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That's a nice picture, right? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In other words, we need to be about the kingdom and about whatever we can do to speed the coming of the Lord Jesus because the rest of the stuff's all going to go bye-bye. John says the exact same assessment. Look at verse two, verse, or chapter 2, verse 17. John says this, very similar to Peter. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Uh, let's prepare for communion. Go ahead and grab your stuff. At home, if you would get the stuff ready and, and for you guys to share in communion, I want to share a few thoughts before we actually do it. John says, whoever does the will of God, what does it say? If you do the will of God, the stuff you do for the will of God abides and the word is forever. In other words, what we do for Christ down here is what really matters. Margaret used to have a a sticker on her desk that said, remember, your reward is not down here. And too many of us have made the Christian life about, our reward is down here, and if I don't get my reward, then I have disappointment with life. You don't know your life. You don't know the impact of your life. You don't, a person who commits suicide, if they could be brought back would be shocked at how many people they impacted and the kind of influence they had and they had no idea that that was true. That's why you got to hang in there till the end, right? Abide is a wonderful, wonderful uh, biblical word. It means to dwell together, means to be in agreement with. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide, there's that same word again. In me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The longer I go in ministry, the more true I realize that is. Notice that abiding is a two-way response. Both parties must agree to the abiding. Remember the young son? The young son did not agree to the abiding with the father. He took his stuff and left. But also notice, if you know that parable, the older son didn't have it down very well either, right? He had a stingy picture of his father and he wasn't dwelling or abiding with him either. Go back and reread that parable. Again, the gospel is in communion. If you're here this morning, you don't know. If you're watching online and you don't know him, the bread represents his body, which says his body was crushed and broken for you. He died on the cross for your sins. The blood represents the propitiation, which is a really fancy word for the covering, for the covering of your sins. When God looks at someone who's repented and yielded themselves to his authority, he no longer sees their sins. He sees his son. That's the great hope. That's why it's called good news. The gospel says, come out of the world and enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Just like you will eat this bread and drink this juice, it will come into you. So may you come into my spirit, Lord, and come into my life and save me. That's a prayer you could pray this morning. For those of us who know him, remember John's words were written for us who believe. The world is passing away. What does Jesus say? Behold, I make all things new. It's not perfect down here. It's not all right down here. It's a mess down here. But Jesus says, I'm going to make all things new. Remember to invest in what is eternal. The challenge was abide in me. And I made the mistake of not opening this packet. Hey, that's a skill set I've not yet acquired. All right, let's do communion together. Sobering words this morning, straight from the king. When we come to communion, Jesus is talking about abiding. Don't be of this world, be of my world. Be of the kingdom. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which was broken for you. Eat this in memory of me. In the same manner he took the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for the remissions of sin. Drink this in memory of me. Let's pray. Father, we've walked through something that is very real, very tangible. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We often live before you in a spirit of greed. If I just had this dad, then I'd be happy. And Father, we know that that must just be an odinsome, odinsome burden with people coming and being ungrateful and unthankful and not letting you be the source. Lord, some of us will be uh, reproved this morning and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Thank you for your spirit doing it. Lord, some of us will be encouraged and affirmed this morning. That's also a good thing. Lord, some of us will be looking with a new set of eyes. We didn't know some of this. And it resets the priorities. It resets the table. Some of us recognize that there's some stuff we've got to move away from really quickly. And like now. And Lord, that's also good. That's also a gift from your spirit. Whatever the response is, Lord, may you help make it appropriate. May you help them respond the right way that they abide with you. And that that's the most important thing. We seek you for that in your name. Amen.